Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to episode three, season two of For the Record. And today we are in studio, which is a big, big new fun thing for us here in our new studio in Dallas, Texas. So we have an incredible guest today who is talking my language from business acumen to financial acumen to the whole thing around startups and how to build your practice and grow your practice and all the data and KPIs. We are here today with Jessica Nunn, who is the founder of Maven Financial Partners. She comes from a big four accounting background. She's been doing financial advising for, I think, quite some time. And she's now made her big impact in the aesthetics industry, helping business owners with new med spas, growing med spas, really take off and run and manage their P's and Q's, if you will. So on her website, it says she's a financial dragon slayer. Ooh, yes. We've got a lot of verbs <laughs> that describe what we do because, you know, we want to speak everyone's language. Which I think is really fun because our, our industry is obviously about marketing and words and verbiage. And so I think you are probably a dragon slayer. But many of our AR accounts use Jessica's firm to really get their books tightened up and to think about their growth strategies and what comes next. And she's here today to tell us all the things she has in that big old brain of hers around financial acumen. So welcome to our show. Thank you. And it is so beautiful here. You guys are so many crazy lights and cameras. And it is so just nice to be here in person and do this in such a fancy, high-technology environment. Well, this is Hollywood, Texas, if you will. No, I'm just kidding. But we met in 2020 at AMSPA, I think it was, mm-hmm. and you were about to go on stage to speak, and I was speaking as well. We were both a little bit nervous that day. It was kind of a new thing for both of us at the AMSPA stage, and now you're like a seasoned veteran professional who's doing talks and podcasts and webinars and videos. You've made a big, big splash with presenting. Well, thanks. It is a little bit easier. I always joke that, you know, I'll be freaking out right before I go up there. And I tell the audience, I'm like, look, I am in spreadsheets all day. I am diving in deep to your numbers and your practice. I'm in the trenches with you. I am not a professional speaker. So know that before we get started, just to, you know, make me feel a little bit better. But it does get easier. And I definitely appreciate like all the exposure that everyone's given us. Yeah, I feel like you guys have really blown up. Um, you came from Skytel, now with Maven. I feel like you're really everywhere because in our industry specifically, as we all know, business acumen is sometimes the last thing that you think about. You know, you think about your med spa, building your practice, the injection part of it, getting your patients in marketing. And then it's like, wait a minute, I've got to make money. I've got to look at my profitability. Do I buy the machine or not buy the machine? Do I hire another person? And it sort of unfortunately comes last most often, which it comes first for you. So Tell us all about what you guys do at Maven to kind of kick us off. Yeah. So we really act like the CFO for aesthetic practices. So we like data. You know, we're like you guys. We love the numbers. We love the data. We take a look at financial statements. If your financials aren't good, we're going to tell you. We're going to help you get your financial statements in order. We look at KPIs. We want you to use your software as best as you can. We want to have reliable, awesome, like to the T numbers that we can rely on in understanding your business and predicting your revenue going forward. So we really love to digest those numbers and then spit them back out to you in a way that you can understand. We're not going to say like, well, your gross margin was 77%. And you like, no one wants to hear that. No one is interested in those kinds of words. So we do say things like, listen, your injector isn't producing like we would expect her to. What can we do to increase her revenue per hour? And then when we do that, how are we paying people, right? Are we, are we profitable on our people, on our services? Where's our money going? Let's show you where your money's going. Where's your money coming from? 
How much should you expect to make next month, the month after? What should be in your checking account in three months? How do we know if we have a problem? So all those things we like to review with our clients in like normal human manner. You know, a lot of people, when I tell them what they do, they're like, wait, aren't CFOs like usually, you know, old white guys? <laughs> yes. Yes, many of them are. Right? And we're like, well, that's that's the beauty of us. We're not. You know, we're usually... Um, we have we have men and women doing our consulting, but we're young, we're energetic, we like to think we're fun, um, and so we take those numbers and our meetings aren't miserable. When we're doing financial meetings, they'll tell us at the end, oh, I'm just learning so much about business, I'm learning so much about my practice, and I end the day like loving these meetings with you guys. Well, yeah, because they want to make money and you're telling them how to do it. I'm sure that you're like the blessing that they've been waiting for. But it's, surpri- it's surprising for a lot. I'll tell you guys, sometimes when we first start meeting with clients, they're very nervous. Because if you think about money, money sometimes is very scary. We have some clients that'll say, well, you know, growing up, we never had enough money. Money is a scary thing. It's always bad, a bad context. So I don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to know. I'll bury my head in the sand. If I have money in my checking account, I'm going to assume I'm okay, right? And they don't know that they're running out of money quickly. So when we meet with them, a lot of times they're freaked out, they're stressed out, they don't know what they don't know, they think we're going to you know, tell them that their practice is horrible and their business is terrible and they should just stop now. So when we go in and we're more like cheerleaders, you know, we're saying, look, these are the things that are going great and you have a lot of stuff on your plate. You're a business owner, you're busy, you have marketing, you have clinical things you got to think about. The team is a whole thing to think about. Finances adds a lot, but let's tell you what's working well what you don't need to spend so much time worrying about. Let's identify the things that are really going to move the needle for you. And that'll pare down what you've got going on. You know, let's say, okay, you got these two injectors. Let's get them a little busier. Or listen, your rent is really high. What can we do about that? Can you negotiate the lease? Like, let's identify the things that are going to move the needle for you and help you focus on what's going to really improve the business. But it can be super stressful at first, I'm telling you. And I've even seen them like, (sighs) you know, kind of in the meetings and I hang up and I'm like, I got to call them. That was horrible for them. They're so stressed about the finances. And then a couple months in, they get confidence and they understand and they see how it works. They see this is how I drive revenue. This is where my money's going. Okay. I don't need to freak out anymore. I can make a plan. I can predict the future, all those things. So it's, it's the most fun job that I've ever had. It's uh, it is so great telling people like, listen, this is what's going great. And this is what we can improve and look how great your practice can be. We hung up with a recent client um, who's in California you know, so it takes a lot to buy a house there, but we showed him his profitability. Look, if you do these things for 2022, this is how much money you'll take home. And he said, oh, I can buy a house for me and my little boy. Tears, you know, like that's changing lives. Yeah. I feel like the software, I feel the same way when people call us, they're like, wait a minute, I can actually do this job. Like this is not so hard. I mean, the, the sheer joy on their face when they finally figure it out or even how hard it is in the beginning, same thing for us, right? When they're learning our software, it's like, it's so hard. And the one day they're like, oh my gosh, now I know what I'm doing and it's getting easier. But I think there's a part between what I do and what you do where there's like this magical connection because people come to us and say, we want the reports inside of a set record to give us everything, to tell us our entire business, you know, KPIs, indicators, everything. And I, I'm going to give you a report which means nothing to you. It is words on a page, numbers on a page. I can't bring it to life. I can't consult with you. 
And so we send people to you all the time to say, if you want this to make sense for your business and to have a story behind it and meaning, you've got to call a financial advisor or a consultant or a planner to tell you what the hell it means, because we're just going to give you the number. And I think oftentimes in our industry, people get KPIs, they're KPI obsessed, like give me that benchmark. Like, but what does that benchmark even what mean? What do I do with that? What do you, are you benchmarking against a Ferrari or a Ford Focus? Because yeah. it's not going to be the same between my practice and your practice. So walk us through kind of if people bring you reports like, here's all, here's all my stuff. What Where now? do you even start? With so, and we get the same thing with CPAs. Like, you know, I'm a CPA by trade, right? Started doing tax returns, sacrificed, no, that life, right? <laughs> to move into something much more fun, I will say. But we are different. Obviously, we don't do the bookkeeping. But what happens is clients will say, well, don't I just need a CPA? Like, shouldn't my CPA do that? Shouldn't my practice management software do that? Like, shouldn't this stuff, like, really, what are you doing? But we're telling the story. We're using your data, whether it's your financial statements, whether it's your software, whether it's your KPIs, to tell the story of your practice. And the thing is, you probably know the story deep down. Like, all the time we'll hear, I knew that was the case. I just had a feeling. We're going to prove it out in the data. But we make it, again, easily digestible, and we tell the story so that you can change the story. You don't like the story? Let's take the data, change the story. But it's the same way with financial statements as KPIs. Like, you get it. Now what? You know, like, what even does this mean? I'm going to put it in this drawer because I don't know, and it's not – it doesn't look (laughs) very – it's so Greek. So when we take that, we make it meaningful, we digest it, we turn it into a plan. I think that's where it all comes together. Well, last year I spent a good 60 days of my life, give or take, with a CPA. Oh, that was the most fun 60 days you ever had, I'm sure. Bullet in my brain. Yes, I know. But he was looking at the set of record software for his particular client and wanted all these random numbers and random slicing and dicing and all these things that absolutely, from an industry perspective, didn't mean anything to anybody. Like I didn't understand it. And I kept telling the, the client, like, what you're asking for, this is not relevant to our business. Like, this is not the way medical practices run. And this person had run restaurants. So cost mm. of goods sold, you know, is fractional pennies on napkins and forks. And, you know, we're looking at like a filler syringe. So all these things, we spent 65 days basically on these things that were completely random and not important. And he was building the client the whole time because he was mm. like, oh, we have to have all these things. I'm going to keep asking for reports. I'm not getting paid to give you all these things. But I look at him and, and eventually I said to him, you know, I appreciate what you're looking for, but you're just digging for things that aren't important here. The, nothing that you're asking for has anything to do with the business growing or even your taxes, financial stuff. But it was just this need to get all these numbers that were irrelevant. And so I find for for us, it's often that analysis paralysis. They keep mm-hmm. asking for reports. I'm like, what are you going to do with it? Well, I don't know. I just heard I have to have it. Mm-hmm, I just heard mm-hmm, I need this report mm-hmm. in order to be in business. So when you think about the things that are like, you know, your top list of things that are most important for an aesthetics practice, what are the numbers that, you know, when you go to bed at night, you're thinking about these are the four things or five things I have to know about a company? Yeah, no, good question. And I want to touch on too the benchmarking thing, because if you are comparing yourself before we go into that to a Ford versus a Ferrari, I always tell clients and tell people, you know, in all my speaking, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The the times that I have spoken, I do love to say, listen, people will throw benchmarks at you all day long. They'll say, something is not right because your advertising is too high or your rent is too high. And I always say, you need to figure out your best practice. What is your best practice? What do you want it to be? Compare you against your best practice. Because you guys know they're all different, right? Mm -hmm. Cost structures are going to be different depending on the services you provide, where you are. So don't stress out because you're not matching up with somebody else's benchmark. Like, let's get you where you should be. But as far as like the information people need to know, one thing that we're really harping on our clients now is to use your software correctly. I know that's 
Like preach. Say that again for the folks in the back. Use Use your software correctly, everybody. And the reason is that, you know, junk in, junk out. Like we really need to make sure that when we're looking at your revenue per hour per provider, that, that it's right. Right. When we're looking at capacity, that it's right, because that's how we're predicting your future performance. So we've really got to get that right. So take away, get that, get your checking out process, your patient checkout process right so that we can rely on that good data. Secondly, that's what's going to predict your revenue. Right. One of the most important things on your financials is your revenue. So get those KPIs right. Revenue per hour per provider is what we love. Predict that revenue. Then, of course, your cost of goods sold, your consumables, what it takes to do the job, right? What it takes to do the work to take care of the patient. We got to know that. So we really like to pull those out, identify them separately so that we can say, listen, every dollar that comes into your practice, 25 cents out the door, 50 cents out the door. What it is like, you're not even going to see it, you know? Then we want to know what are our big ticket items, payroll. If someone is going to go wrong, if someone is going to overspend, it's probably in payroll. And what's the reason, right? You can't walk into your 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 office, your clinic, and say, um, the financial people are saying that we're too, we're too high on payroll, so half of y'all are out. Y'all decide <laughs> I'll be back, right? You, that's not the answer. Usually it comes down to, again, your revenue. So someone's not pulling their weight. It's your revenue per hour. It's your revenue that's too low and not supporting the team that's there. So that's, again, why we like to dive into the revenue. The other one that gets out of whack a lot is rent. That's a big cost, a big expense, right? But what does that come down to? You're not bringing in enough revenue for the space. So we we have a saying where we say it's it's probably not your expenses because it's probably not. And when we're talking with people about finances, they get really stuck on their expenses. I know I'm spending too much. I, even my husband, he he's a business owner, and he'll come in and say, oh, I'm just spending too much money. Like, well, tell me, what are you spending? Well, this was $75 and this was $100 and it's just so much money out the door. And I'm like, no, focus on your revenue, please. Stop with the $75 mm-hmm. thing, right? <clears throat> but we nitpick, we worry about every little thing because we don't know what to focus on, but it's probably the revenue. We need to look at our revenue drivers. We need to look at our KPIs and s- see what makes sense for our practice. Yeah, I think about revenue especially in this business. I know you work in dental also, <clears throat> excuse me, which is less promotional, I think, in nature. They don't do a lot of the, like, the big promotions that we do in aesthetics. But I often hear people who think, you know, my top line looks amazing. I've made so much money this month. And I'm like, but you discounted 50% yes. of that. So the revenue, the, the subtotal looks incredible. But you forgot about the fact that for every $1 you made, you discounted 75 cents of it. So I feel like we spend a lot of time here at AR explaining to people like your discount report. We have a thing called the discount report for those of you who don't use our, our software that tells you like fractionally speaking, what percent of that dollar you made did you actually make? Then there's processing fees, there's COGS to your point, there's payroll, there's all these things. And I do a lot of consulting around commission structures and payroll structures mm-hmm, for companies because mm-hmm. obviously you guys own commission and aesthetics. If you're a medical provider, is not legal. We call that fee splitting here. Just side note, disclaimer. But people forget to think about the net. Like, what is the actual net? And they're commissioning people off the top line. I'm like, but you forgot the discount that you gave or you forgot the COGS or you forgot, you know, the marketing expense for them to get their butt in the chair that you're paying to your point when they walk in the front door and they commission off, you know, off the gross and not the net. And it makes me flipping crazy. Yeah. We've been spending a lot of time talking about discounts because we do have some practices that are not as profitable as they should be. And the number one thing is either they're not like pricing things right, their membership or whatnot, or they're just discounting the heck out of everything. And you really, if you think about it, that's another marketing cost. So if you're already spending 10% on marketing and you're discounting, we know that we already said 25 cents is off the top, right? So you got your payroll, 
25 cents is off the top for those supplies. Now you got to advertise. You're not leaving very much for yourself with profit. So you really, it's, I'm glad you have that report. People need to look at it and see what's happening. Well, and the same thing is true on the other side where we have, we have customers who do pay off the net, which, you know, they're doing the right thing, but they discount. So the injectors say, I'm not going to inject that product because it's on a discount. I'm not going to make as much money. I'm going to inject this product instead if they're doing like a true, you know, commission model. And so the injectors start to make the decision based on the compensation plan, mm. which as a business owner hurts you, right? Because if you're discounting it to get it off the shelf, it's going to be, you know, expired inventory. All of a sudden that discount makes it really hard to say yes as the injector. So I think discounts in general, they are problematic for a business period because you're again giving away money. And obviously there's, you know, you've got experience, all these things, but we were discussing before we came online, um, things like memberships, recurring revenue plans, you know, long-term treatment plans and things. What is your thought on that kind of a setup for practice? No, we love that. So, you know, I will say that getting your, your fee structure and how patients can pay you set up right and smart is going to be a great key to success. So we have a mutual client that um, does a, a treatment plan for the whole year, which I love this idea. Like, let me go in, tell me what I need for the whole year. Let's just knock it out. Just give it to me. Right. And then they price that so that you're paying that in your installments over the whole year. Like, it's different than a membership. There's no discounts. I'm paying for the treatment, but you're making it easy for me to pay. I love that. I know what I need. I know what I'm doing. You're making it easy for me to pay. So we really like making things easy for people to pay. Easy for people to do, right? Meet everyone where they are, that whole thing. So if you can get pay- payments online, making uh, payment plans, you know, you're uh, using some sort of service to, to get payment plans going so that people can afford the treatment that you're recommending to them. We love that. But while we're talking about fees, one thing we're really pushing is understand your fees, especially in relation to your costs, because we all know these costs are going up, right? Nothing is getting cheaper right now. So not only should you really watch those discounts, but we're really encouraging people to raise fees. Yeah, I think that there's there are practices who I look at their inventory as we put their things in our system, and they have the same price for like wrestling that they had ten years ago. It's not four ninety five a syringe anymore, guys. It's like eight fifty. They've never increased their money or their fees, and so they're working you know ten times as hard for the same revenue. And then again, the cost of goods sold is extraordinarily high still. So they're like making less revenue and less profit and they're working like. Well, and their team wants a raise, right? Their costs are going up and you can be creative with it, you know, raise your fees, but then use it as a marketing promotion. Kristen had this idea where she was telling clients like, listen, tell them, get in now at last year's pricing, like do something to get people in at last year's pricing. And then you're going to have your new fee structure going forward. And patients aren't as sensitive to it. As providers think and business owners think, you know, they're like, oh, I don't want to raise fees. I'm going to get, no one's going to accept treatment. It's all this stuff. But when you look at it, it's like, mm, that's $40 more for their appointment. It's fine. You know, it, it sounds worse than it is. No one's going to remember what they paid last month. Like, I, it's going to be fine. Just do it. You're worth it. But I love the treatment plan idea to your point because, you know, I'm a millennial on the high, on the very high, barely by like a month, I'm a millennial. And, you know, we've been paying for cell phones that way for like, I don't know, 15 years. As long as long as an iPhone's been out, you can pay this incremental fee for your iPhone. And I think in retention strategy, you're not going to leave that practice because you're already locked into this one-year commitment with the practice. You're going to, you know, if you want extra new fun things, you're going to go to that practice to get them because you're already kind of in bed with them. And so I believe the retention strategy of a treatment plan or membership plan is so much better than the one-time discount. You know, oh, or even absolutely. like open house or the mm-hmm. things that you do to the flash in the pan things. But thinking about like, you know, the long-term vision for a practice, do you see a difference in practices that have a recurring model versus those who are like, 
you know, buy here, pay here, instant cash? Like what is, what's the difference? You know, if you're going to compel us to all move our model to treatment plans, what's, what's the compelling? Well, here's what's interesting is we talk about in our firm, you know, we have a lot of clients that are in the dental space, which is very similar and very parallel to the aesthetic space. And that's how we got into it. Um, like very similar and dental is more retail than you would think with the cosmetic and, you know, um, Invisalign and all these things. Like a lot of it is not, uh, my tooth is broken, but I want to be beautiful. So it does have a lot of similarities. And one thing that dental has been doing really well for a long time is recare. You know, when you leave that dental office, you have your next appointment scheduled. You, nobody leaves without an appointment scheduled, right? We go at a certain time frame. We know exactly where we're going to go. Um, and, and, we measure that. We measure recare. We under, you know, we understand in dental, like what, what percentage of patients are getting rescheduled? What percentage aren't? Who hasn't been in a certain amount of time? If I was telling you before we started that I'm way behind on, on everything going on, right? And, but you know, if, if the office would have called me and said, Hey, you're way behind on stuff. Let's get you scheduled. How much easier is it for me to answer the phone and do that versus now I got to call you during business hours? You know, now I got to remember to do, no one remembers that. So make it easy for patients. Online scheduling, call them, get them into a recare system, a retention system, so that you're not having to spend so much money getting new patients. Let's keep the ones we have and keep them coming. That is the number one challenge that I see across the board. And I, we say here jokingly, fish in your own pond. Yes. Yeah, you know, the cost of acquisition for a customer, like in plastics for sure, it could be thousands of dollars, right? For a patient, plastics, I think some are $2,000 to get like a face, you know, facelift patient. Obviously, for non-surgical, it's a little bit cheaper, but still costs way more to engage a brand new person than it does to say, hey, Jessica, who's already coming in, come get another new thing. And I think people confuse, like, I want leads, leads, leads. I'm like, but what about who's already here, who mm-hmm. already invested in you and believed in you? Why don't you bring them back in for something? And that's like a hard pill for people. to they, they can't get their mind around the fact that their pond is stocked full of really good catfish. Just go fishing. Well, and then the pond right out from that, right over from that is the one of their friends. Oh yeah. So like, why are we not asking for referrals, right? In our, in our treatment, we, we have patients that we love. Listen, you've been here a long time. I love working with you. Do you have any friends that are looking for a new home? Like, let's get that happening. Honestly, we say that half of your patients should be coming from referrals um, and the other half, you know, outside marketing. Otherwise your spend is just so high. Yeah, I would envision um, if we all looked at referrals and retention of our existing patients as opposed to new ones, it'd be a much different financial ballgame from the marketing perspective. I, I think so, too. What do you think? What's an average practice, like non-surgical, you know, purely med spa practice? What's like their usual percentage of top line spent on marketing? Do you know? Just yeah, usually like 6 to 10%. So lower if it's a, you know, a, a full practice, if it's not necessarily trying to grow or young, higher if it's young. So 10%, even more if they're, if they're really trying to grow or if they're a young practice. But what they're not thinking about again is those discounts and things, because that is not going to show up on your P&L, right? So you're, it's not easy to capture that unless you're intentionally looking at it. But it can be a big cost. You know, we want to do a variety of things, a variety of ways to reach out. And we have all the specials going on and all those things. So it's definitely a big cost. We, it, it's definitely, it's something that we've really focused on on the dental side is looking at that internal referrals, what's your existing population, your existing set of patients, getting them back in the door on a regular basis. Well, I just listened to an Instagram post from Yvonne Delos, who owns a med spa and an in, in a big injector school. And she's talking about before I make a payment or buy something, I want to have like five X to cash in my account. You know, she, again, same kind of thing. She's like, I want to be cash, you know, cash flush. I don't want to have to think about my debt. 
what's a good rule of thumb for those people who are thinking about growing a business, investing in a device or trying to buy up on their inventory? Like, is there a good rule of thumb about, because I love debt. I'm a big believer I in I love debt. debt too. Go sorry, us. Sorry, guys. Me too. Dave Ramsey, eat your words, buddy. I think you have to leverage things to grow. It's just the way the cookie crumbles. And I think in our industry, because people are worried about being burned in this like sort of fly by night, you know, aesthetics industry, they refuse to have any debt and they'll never grow. So give us your like debt to cash ideas here. Yeah. Okay. So listen, interest rates right now, lowest we've ever seen them, right? I've been doing this when people were buying businesses, buying equipment, and they were paying 12 and 15% interest and they were still doing it and it still made sense. So you can't tell me it doesn't make sense when you can get it done for three to 4%, right? So I'm not saying, you guys, we're not saying go out and borrow all the money and buy all the things, right? You still have to be smart with it. Make sure you're buying things that make sense for your practice, that make sense for you. Um, we still want to make money on these things. But I, we say keep three to six months working capital. You'll know what that is if you're looking at your financials, right? It's really what you need to pay your bills for three to six months. But I'm with you. I think you need if you're a stable practice, if you're not growing, if you've got monthly recurring revenue, I think you can do less. Get a line of credit. That's additional working capital you available took the to you. Words out of my, I was just thinking about tell them about a line of credit. Yes, people get don't you get line, those. They don't listen, know what those are. Get it when it when you're healthy. When your financials are good. 2021, you're probably healthy. Everyone had a great 2021 for the most part, right? 2021, we all bounced back really well. Take those financials, go to a local community bank or wherever your checking account is, tell them you want a line of credit. You will hopefully never touch it. Right. And my husband does this too with his business. He'll be like, uh, spent my $75. I don't have any money, you know? And I'm like, listen, use your line of credit. Stop freaking out. Use your line. I don't want to touch it. Do the things you need to do for your business and use your line of credit and get out of here. So we just have to be more willing to, it's taking a risk. You took a risk when you opened the business. You're taking a risk when you're borrowing money, but you know what comes with risk if you do it right is reward. That's how it's, that's how it works. I think it's all looking at, you know, interest rates, what can I make on it? What, what did it cost me? And some of these devices, I will tell you, I think are probably not a great choice because the business plan isn't there. You know, people, the laser device people are so good at their jobs, like so good at their jobs, they can sell a dead man a snow cone stand and people buy them. And it's like the laser graveyard in the back of the practice. So when you think about a business plan, you know, when someone comes to you and says, Jessica, you, you know, our numbers, you know, our books, we had this great device that we want to buy. Is it a good choice or not? How do you tell them? Yes. yes. No? So, you know, we don't say, well, clinically, we don't think like we don't know necessarily, but we can look at it from a financial lens and we'll say, listen, in order to be profitable on this machine, you have to do this much in revenue on it per month. Do you think that's feasible? And of course, the answer is, well, yeah, of course that's it easy. Because I easy. want it. The answer is oh, I know, yes. of course. And they told me it was easy. So surely it's easy, right? But how? Let's talk about how, right? Also, will your patient volume support that? Are patients asking for this? You know, is this is this something that ask your marketing firm? Are people Googling this in my area? Is this a treatment that that people are asking for? Or, you know, what does that look like? And and you should get a sense of whether that's something that people around you are looking for. Um, but but we we don't like to tell people, no, you can't do anything. You can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. If you have a healthy practice and a good patient base and you really believe in the treatment and you've used it before, right? Or you really believe in the device and you can finance it smartly. And I'll tell you what I think that means here in a second. Then, you know, go for it. But understand what you're getting into, right? Understand what it's going to cost, including any consumables. Understand what it's going to cost and what you have to do in revenue to make it make sense for you. Yeah, I want to hear about smart financing. Okay, okay. So I just had this conversation today. 
So people will say, oh, this interest rate, you know, I have, I have two options here. They'll say I can do a 10-year loan at 5.5% or I can do a five-year loan and they're going to do 5%. I don't care about the interest rate and deals like that. That 10-year term is going to make your monthly payment so much lower than the five-year term. I take the 10-year all day long. You can pay extra if you want. If you're like, I don't want to pay for this thing for 10 years, pay it down if you want. But you have the flexibility to not have that giant payment. So for me, the years, the term, however long the loan is, is more important than the interest rate. I mean, don't pay 10%. That doesn't make sense, right? But if your choices are a little bit longer for a little bit more in interest rate, take it. Well, so fun fact, people think I'm crazy for saying this. So to, to your point, like a car note. I will finance my car an extra year or two because it frees up capital in that month when I'm paying the payment. If I'm going to pay a thousand or five hundred, I'd rather pay five hundred. Yes, and have five hundred more to do other things, so invest, etc. You are talking to a girl who just paid off her car last year that I have had since 2014. Yes, ma'am. But you know what? That car was financed at 1.9 percent. Do I care? I'll be paying on student loans, you guys, until my daughter goes to college. Like that's like a lifetime of paying for school, right? Between her and me. I'm happy to do it. My interest rate is 2.3%. Like when you think about inflation, who's winning? Who's winning? Right? I never understood that. I have friends, medical school, you know, friends have gone to medical school and they pay these giant medical school notes up front. Like I want to pay off my medical school loans in two years. Why? You just took all the working capital that you had to go buy a business, open a practice, and put it all against a debt that you basically aren't going to get anything out of now. Like it's it, This is a lagging thing, right? It's already happened ex post facto. I'm like, just finance it for a long time, pay a little bit a month, and call it a day. Like you won't even know the money's missing. Yep. But you're going to know that you've got 500K missing in two years. Would you rather have 500K in your checking account, or would you rather have no student loan amount? Really, if push comes to shove and your life gets stressful, would you rather have the money? I would rather have the money. And can you do better with that money? Can I do better than 2.3% on my money than, you know, which is my rate on my student loan? Yes, I believe I can. Go to crypto. Cryptocurrencies, guys, you'll do a hell of a lot better than 2.1%. No. (laughs) Yeah. We're big believers here in cryptocurrency. But, (laughs) you know, as I I think about that whole thing, debt and money, and people are really stressed about this right now, about how do I grow? I want to open up another location. We get this question here all the time. When do you decide that my footprint here is so big, I've got to grow to another location? Like when is the decision? Because I had a business I owned a CrossFit gym and we decided to expand another location and I kicked myself every day for a year for doing it because I should have just taken what I had. My pond was full of catfish and built that and not grown to the next location. But there's some like ego thing about it. Like, yeah, I would tell you. want to get bigger. Why It's do a do personality this? thing. We talk to people who are either like, oh, hell no, am I opening a second location? One is enough for me. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Right. Or, oh, no, I want to open all these locations. Right. And so it's really like kind of comes down to your personality. Um, I would say it, no shoe is the right size for everybody. You know, it, it kind of comes down to what you want to do and what your personality is. But what you really have to think about is, is your first space like maxed out? Have you fished from that pond completely before moving on to the next? Because that next space, now you got staffing to, to deal with again. And people forget. I feel like they get into year seven, eight of their practice or even five. Things are going great. Everything is smooth. Just like with having a baby, right? Your baby's three years old and you're like, I think I'll have another one. You go through pregnancy again. You have that baby. You have that newborn. You're not sleeping and you're like, what was I thinking? But you forget. You forget how hard it was to start it. So I, just be prepared. Know what you're getting into. We always say have a plan. Have a plan. 
I'd say it's just like kids. I've actually given a lecture on this exact topic, and I'd say one is one, two is a million. Two is a million, and three, mm-mm. You don't even know the exponential work that you have when you scale from one to two. I think one to two is much harder than seven to ten because the idea of having two staff, two locations, then you try to split your staff between both. That never works. They're going back and forth. You try to share resources. Well, that's very hard to do because everyone's in – this practice looks different than this practice. Or trying to, try to make it all the same even is very, very hard. I think training is impossible – for some folks, when they think about splitting their locations in half. But to that point, question for you, thinking about injectors who do own a practice going from one to two, and their name is on it, and it's like their brand and their thing, and they're the famous injector, and now they're trying to scale that to locations. What's What do you see when that happens from a business standpoint? What's the, what's the hiccup there? Because I think there are many hiccups there. Well, yeah, I'm sure there are lots of hiccups there. And I think you know, for one, you have to think about when you're branding your practice and when you're thinking about what do you want this to be? Do you want to be the star? Do you want to be the face? Do you want it to be you? You know, or because at some point you're going to be tired. At some point you are going to run the business and maybe not want to be the one injecting all the time. So I think you have to think about, do we want the brand to say me or do we want the brand to have something that doesn't have to do with me? Maybe I'm the face, but maybe it allows for other providers. Or we can, you know, train people exclusively like under our name and under our way. And this is a provider that's brought up under me. And so it's the same. But I think you have to think about whether you're creating a business that is you or a business that can run outside of you. Is it me or is it intentionally not me? And I think that's kind of the key. Because now I want to sell it and it has my name on it. That's and it's right. all me. And they can't have me because I want to sell it, move on to something different. Then what happens? That's right. You are the face. But I think when the the reason this comes up, I had this discussion actually this week, is a person said, oh, but I make, I drive so much revenue in my practice, I can open another. I'm like, but you can't drive that same revenue in two places you on are the, same one person. the same time. So yep. stop multiplying yourself by two. It ain't the way it works. You're going to have to now divide it by two for one because you're going to have to manage two businesses, two staffs, and you can't inject in two places on the same day. That's right. So it's like they forgot this whole part of, wait a minute, I've got to pay another salary to manage. Not only another salary to manage it, I can't do it. And now I've got to actually take an admin day, too, to do all the administration work. That's right. Work. That's right. Like, yeah, it ain't fun. No. Like I tell you, it's hard. It's hard work. Well, and people don't get into this. Some do. But we find that most people don't get into this because they love business. Yeah. They get into this because they love the work, right? They love working on on patients and all of that. And so, and that's their passion. The business part comes along with it. But you really have to take the time to work on the business too. You know, I'm sure you guys talk about that a lot. And, um, and and it's not always easy. You have all these patients, you want to see them. That means revenue, taking the time to work on the business. You're not making money while you're doing that, but it's so important. So if you're going to, if you're the type that's going to consider expanding, you got to make sure that you increase that time to work on the business. And that means you're probably doing less. We have this discussion. We just, we were in Amazon this week in Seattle. We were talking about working on the business and working mm-hmm. in the business. And those are vastly different concepts. And I think for a lot of people, they get into this and, and think that they're going to be able to do both. And they realize, I want to be an injector again, or I want to be you know, a laser tech or an esthetician. I don't want to do all this work again. And we often say from a marketing perspective, you know, when it comes to the marketing side, go hire a marketing firm. Like, you're not a marketer. You're a great injector. That's your skill set. No one's asking the marketing guy to inject. No right. Yeah, that's you're right. A marketer. I think it's the same for you guys. We tell clients all the time, stop looking like through the you know the world to become a financial expert, you're not going to be one unless you go back to school and learn the trade. You know, become a CPA, go hire a person to do it for you. So, what do people say? You know, the trade off between paying you guys to do their books for them, and them thinking that they're going to take it on themselves and do as good of a job. So, you know, we do have people that are in there doing their own QuickBooks, doing their own budgets, doing their own pro formas, making their own um, goals, which. 
I think it's great that people give it a shot and, and do it. And some do it very well, like probably not the QuickBooks side of things, but we do have some that are very intentional about setting their goals and understanding how much they can make per hour. And I think that's really good. But if you think about, and we recommend bookkeepers. So, you know, we want you to outsource the bookkeeping part and we have a whole list of people that we recommend, but that's the first thing you got to do. So if you're doing your own books, if you're in there in your own QuickBooks, stop today, please. Okay. It is not, I'm telling you, it is not that expensive to outsource that. You can afford that. Take the time and work on other aspects of your business that are more valuable. Secondly, if you're, if you're, Books are done by a bookkeeper, right? And you're looking at it and you're like, ah, it's Greek. I don't understand it. So I'm not going to do anything with that. Then you're also not getting the best return on your investment. So take that. And that's where we come into play and we help you understand what even does this mean. But you really have to think about what are you good at? What are you not good at? What do you want to spend your time doing? And where's your most value? Where, where can you drive the most value in your business based on what you're naturally good at and what you're passionate about? And I actually share that same thing because I really love working with clients. I really love working with clients, but I, I have to run my business too, right? So it's a balancing act for me. Like I get it. I have to set time aside to run the business because I don't want to stop working with clients because I love it. That's what I love, you know? Um, and that's what's nice about having a team around you, either internally or externally, is you can pick the parts that you like and have someone else do the rest, especially if you're not an expert or trained in that area. I don't do my marketing. I don't do it. Well, this is a hard lesson, Jessica, for all of us here to learn. And I have adopted the saying that you should do the things that only you can do, which has been like the hardest lesson I've ever learned in my 30 plus plus years of life is even thinking about in our business, I love our customers. I would love to go to their practices all day long and spend time with them and help them think about their promotions and their Black Friday sales. But who's going to do all the other things we have to do, right? It's like, you know, running the business. And so I've been really focusing on me personally, like delegating things that that I don't have to do. And I look at the software part of our business, like building your account and a set of record. It takes a person, you know, to learn the software and build it 30 hours, 40, 50 hours. I don't know. It takes a lot of time. And I'm like, do you want to give them an entire week of injecting, like a whole week of injecting, mm-hmm, just cancel mm-hmm, your patient's mm-hmm. call today and build the system all day long? Or do you want to pay like, you know, a couple hundred bucks for us to do it for you? Like, what's the better use of your time? And to your point about expenses, they're like, but it's expensive to have you do it. I'm like, no, no, it's a tremendous cost savings for me to do it because I'm going to cut doing out it. 45 hours of the work for you mm-hmm. because you injecting toxin and in one appointment pays for this entire setup. So I think it's getting people to think about, to your point, expenses versus like what you're going to lose if you do it yourself. Like mm-hmm. you're not only going to spend money, you're going to also lose out on it. And I'm, I struggle with this concept all the time. So do our customers. So yeah, I'm, I'm all about that life. I hear you on that one. Yeah. Opportunity costs. You know, what are you missing out on? Because you're, you're do, not doing other things that are more valuable and more important for sure. It is hard though. I struggle with the delegating. I don't delegate well either necessarily, unless there's some things that I'm like, I know I'm not good at that. Someone else can do it. But if I enjoy it, even if I can delegate it, sometimes I want to hold on to it. So I get it. And well, I'm in a startup, as are you. And I think it's, you know, we're our own janitor here. Sometimes we're doing all the things. So I think it's a startup. You, you learn to do everything because you don't know how you're going to find time to teach somebody else to do it and onboard them and hire them and get it all done. I think for me, it's more of a time constraint. I think as a new owner of a business, especially med spa, it's the same way. How am I going to treat patients and recruit patients and find a person to come take over the marketing? That's right. I know. Like, there's just not enough time in the day. So, But you got to think about the time I put in today means I won't be doing it next week or the week after. It pays me back, right? It, I, get, I get more in the end. I just need to take the time and do it now. Delegate it now. Train people now that I won't have to do it later. You just got to suck it up and get it done. 
Discipline discipline is hard when it comes to onboarding and training. But to that point, you mentioned that you guys are doing stuff with startups now, like a startup yeah, project. Yeah, we're really Tell trying to that. we're really trying to you know figure out. A lot of people are trying to get their business going, and we want to help them understand the financial implications of that. Like, how much money do they need to go borrow? What you know can they expect to bring in? What can they expect to spend? What's this going to cost them? When will they break even? When will they? How much money will they need to? plan to set aside for working capital? How much can they afford for equipment? Can they afford to hire someone now or should they wait six months? All those questions, we map it out from a financial perspective. So, you know, we're all about making a plan and we're really putting together a product that makes sense for people thinking about opening a business, whether it's a med spa or any any healthcare business, really, where we've, we've got a good system down where we can help people make those decisions and see their vision come out in a financial plan. And bring it, bring it to life. Well, it's interesting. We had a person on Leslie Tracy who does a lot of like insurance, contingency planning, business continuation insurance and things. And she's talking about, you know, these injectors, you know, their hands for one. If you're a physician, yes. a surgeon, you know to insure your hands, right? Everyone knows you insure your hands if you're a surgeon, but in the med spa world, they don't do it, right? They don't insure, you know, for instance, their hands. Or they don't think about business continuation coverage and what happens if my partner in the business dies. Like who gets uh, yes, to share? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So do you guys work sort of on that part of it too, of like helping the people understand disaster will happen in some form in your life, like prepare for that up front. Yeah. You know, we love working with attorneys at the beginning of the whole thing, or even I'm telling you guys, if you're, if you're considering having a partner and being in a partnership, right, then you got to outline not only the disasters, but the good things, you know, like, how are we going to share this amazing profit we're going to make? But also, like you said, what happens if someone dies? What happens if someone's disabled? What happens if someone moves away? Like we got to address all that at the beginning. So we really like to have a good set of documents that outlines that at the beginning. Insurance. We, we love to recommend insurance. We'll, we'll send you to an insurance guy who can make sure you're taken care of, but life insurance, disability insurance, the bank might want insurance. You know, if something happens to you and you're the provider, the bank, the bank's in a bad position. So the bank wa- might want insurance, but you know, we also don't want you to get like suckered into some crazy insurance that you don't need. What, what kind of insurance might be right for, for those sorts of things. So we try to guide and then bring in partners who can help make that final decision. But, you know, it, it's fun to think about the dream and like the vision and let's lay it out and I'm going to have this many patients, but you do have to like what catastrophically can happen. You know, we got to be prepared. And I will say coming out of a pandemic, like if anyone would have said a few years ago, what if you have to close your practice for two months and you can't work? Like what? No, that will never happen. Right. But now I feel like, okay, we've done that. We know what we needed to do. We did it. Right. We, we know what we learned and, and how we could come back stronger and how we can make a plan to come back stronger. So you just, you can't predict everything. You just never know. Yeah. I think about 2020 is just like the year that everything went to hell in a handbasket, but my gosh, we learned a lot. Definitely. I mean, shockingly, we learned a lot. We survived it. But I think about inventory to that point when people came in to set a record, we were so busy during the pandemic because everyone to, you know, to the credit of the pandemic closing us all down gave them time to think about, am I making any money? I'm, I've got to trim the fat. We heard so much about waste and expenses and all these things that people were realizing, like, do I need the, you know, all the fun things in the lobby or do I need to, you know, make enough money to survive? Like, what's the, what's the trade off here? But the big thing we heard about was inventory and, and holding costs and carrying costs of inventory. People don't think about that in our business because they feel like filler is on the shelf for a day. It gets injected. It's done. But then you have to anniversary that at the end of the year of like, it's on the shelf. It's actually an asset sitting there doing nothing for you. Like the, the whole holding cost idea, which in manufacturing is like the norm, right? You think about holding costs in manufacturing all the time. Here we don't. So on an inventory basis for accounts, 
what is your like ordering plan for them? Do you tell them to think about what they're ordering, how long to keep it? Like, give us some ideas on that. Well, we don't typically go into inventory all that much, but I will say, unless your practice is in the middle of nowhere, it does not take forever to get things. You know what I mean? So I don't think that you need to keep like this giant supply on hand. We really watch the supply as an expense of what you're generating because we really want to make sure that that's not increasing or decreasing. Do we have a problem? We want to make sure that, um, that you're, you do have a good system in place. You know, do you know how much is on the shelf? Do you know when it expires? Do you know what you're using, not using? Are you buying stuff that you're not using? Who's ordering? Do we have everyone in the office with the ability to order or is it just one? Do we have a budget? Do we give them a budget? This is how much you can order of each thing based on what we did the month before. But I think just know that, you know, you don't have to keep like this crazy stock unless you're using it quickly and often because you can get it pretty quickly. Now, you know, you got to take in consideration buying in bulk and the discounts and all of that kind of stuff that you might get, but don't get too much that you're not going to be able to use it. And let's just make sure that overall we're driving enough revenue to make these costs make sense. Yeah, we we have people who do, you know, terms for 90 days and put it on their Amex to get another, another, 90, another yeah. 30 days on it. Like, that's genius. It's 120 days of interest-free that's right. loan. Why would you do that? You and you got the points. That. And you get the points for a nice trip to Maui or wherever else you want to go. But I do think that people don't understand inventory. I think it's one of the KPIs, the metrics, or the data points that people ignore. Like, oh, we're going to sell through all this in no time at all. Like, But are you? How much of a shrinkage, loss, expiration, turnover – and because COGS in this industry are 50% of most people's, you know, revenue number, it's so high here, it gets forgotten about. But I'm like, guys, if you're thinking about your HR costs and not your inventory costs, like, are you focusing on the right things? That's right. It is about focusing on the right things. And, you know, I'll say, too, that there, people aren't tracking it right on their financials. You know, they're oftentimes expensing it. And, and we don't see that balance kind of in front of our faces on a regular basis. And a lot of times they don't track it right in their software either. So we really don't know how much we have. So that might be a good first step is to inventory your your stuff and enter it so that you can see what you have, what's coming in, what's going out. Yes. Good best practice, guys. Use your inventory software and chart your procedure so you can see what's coming out. Because I think those are the things, you know, I feel like in business in general, all these little tiny things keep adding up. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, where'd all that money go? It's mm-hmm. like, well, you weren't tracking things that were your business drivers, if you will. And that's one of the hardest things. You know, I talk about a lot, what are the costs that can get out of whack? We talked about some of them, payroll and and the whole supplies. That is a hard one, right? Because it's so many little things. It's so many little things. And sometimes so many people's hand in the pot and it's really hard to see what's truly happening. Yeah, we have a system in place for our software where you have a purchase order so you can see who's ordering. Because I will tell you, one of the things as a rep, I was a government rep for, for a couple of years, is I'd have the same office call with the same order four times in a day. And if I had just put that in, they would have had 4X the amount because no one's talking to each other. Right. It's like, wait a minute, who's a, who's got the authority to even order? That's well, right. I guess everyone does here, right? Because we're all putting in an order. And once you order that with manufacturer, you can't walk it back. It's like, it's, it's, it's in. It's in. You're done. So I think even those sort of small things, it's... You know, whatever you do with excellence, you know, you do all things with excellence, if you will, following that sort of mentality of we've got to watch everything that's coming in and out. I know it's very, very hard, but a good, a good practice manager or a good, even a good bookkeeper to your point could be really helpful for a practice need to stay on track. So don't do it by yourself, guys. Hire some help. Hire a legal team, an HR person, and obviously, without a doubt, a financial 
consultant, planner, advisor, dragon slayer, ninja, whatever you want to call them. Make sure you hire them too. (laughs) Well, anything you want to tell us about what's coming up for you and your next, well, I guess by the time this airs, we'll be in Amsball together. Yes, we'll be in Vegas. We're excited about that. We'll have a booth. So if you're hearing this, come see us. We'll have a booth. Uh, We're speaking and just excited to meet everybody and see everybody there and hang out with you. And it's always so fun. So I guess this is, this will be the third year that I've been at Amspa, the Med Spa show. But I, I remember the first year I was like, gosh, everyone is so nice and everyone knows each other. That's the other thing mm-hmm. too, right? Everyone knows each other. Everyone's so nice. But, um, but we really love seeing everybody and we love learning about what everyone does because we want to help our clients. So, you know, we diagnose the problems and the financials, but usually we're not the ones to fix them. Usually we say, listen, we got someone who can help you with this. Let us connect you with so-and-so they can help you. So it's a perfect time for us to kind of get our toolbox of the people who can help us make our clients better. You'll be at Aesthetic Next, we hope. Yes. We're calling yes, it right yes. now. You're coming to Aesthetic Next. We will be for there. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I do think giving people access to even your expertise, I think about speaking in general, to kind of roll back for a quick second. We get asked a lot with the conference, like, I want to get paid to speak. You know, mm-hmm. I, want, I want a big, giant on to speak. I'm like, this is how you grow your business, even as an injector, to become the expert in your community, to become the guru, the KOL. Like, this is, you know, for AR, for us, me speaking helps our business grow. I'm not going to take payment for it. Like I want, that's what helps us. Oftentimes we're paying to speak, right? You're having to pay a sponsorship to speak. But I feel like all this free education that you get at like an AMSPA, they're learning from you, learning incredible amounts of detail about how to run their business at no cost. And people don't come to sessions. They don't, I mean, you carpe diem. Like mm-hmm, you're getting such mm-hmm, great information. Mm-hmm. So anyway, guys, if you're there, go listen to all the, all the mm-hmm. business sessions. And we really have a passion for teaching too. I mean, really that's, we do this because we like to help people and we like to help people understand. We want them to understand. Yeah. We want them to learn. So, you know, really that's, I love as much as I will almost throw up before I have to get on that stage. Right. I do love people when they come up later and say, Oh, I learned so much. I finally understand, you know, I get it now. Thank you for telling me that it's so, you know, that's my favorite part, but we also have launched something on Instagram, LinkedIn called Maven Minute. We want to just share little tidbits of information as we go. You know, if we're seeing, hey, practices are struggling with this right now. What are we seeing that's working? We're going to put it out there. We want people, we want to help. We want to teach. We want people to learn. Eventually, over time, they end up coming to you as a client, I'm sure, because they're, you know, they're getting all this great knowledge. you are like, you're the expert. I think about this podcast, I wanted to have a financial component to it this season. And because I know you guys are everywhere, you're offering your expertise. Of course, I was going to call you. I wanted you to be the one to do it, right? Because because you do all these other things, I know that you're investing in education. So I feel like there's, you know, it's, you get an ROI on doing it. You know, you spend your time doing it right at no cost, all these things that we do, but it comes back to full circle because people want to come, you know, you're in their mind, the expert. Yeah, that's what we hope. We hope that, you know, people will remember us and they'll think, oh, you know, she was, that was interesting to listen to. I think I could talk to her for an hour about my numbers. I think I'll call her. And uh, we do, you know, for your listeners, we also offer like a complimentary financial assessment, we call it. So if you're just like, ah, I just don't even know what's happening. Like, give us a call. We'll take a look at your financials with you. Tell us what we see that might be off, what, what you should focus on, where that energy should be going and running your business. Well, last question about numbers and I'll shush is if I wanted to buy a practice, an existing yes. practice, can I have somebody from that group send you their numbers and you can tell me if I should or shouldn't buy them and if well, it's a good decision? What we can tell you is how much money you would make, right, if you kept the same amount of revenue and the same cost. And we could look at the cost with you and say, well, you may not do this, but you might be do this, so let's swap that for that. And then I think the other thing that would be helpful is, you know, how much are they selling it for you? Does that make sense? Because based on what you're making – how long is it going to take you to get your money back, right? We don't want that to be too, too long. And secondly, how should you finance it, right? Because you know we're going to go call a bank because we already said we love debt. So we're calling a bank. We're getting a 10-year loan, 
How much is that payment going to be? What's left over for you? Right. Are they sticking around to do the to to be the provider or is that you? Is that taking away from your other practice? Like some of these things you got to think about so you can see really how much can you expect to make from that practice? I find practice valuation is an incredibly hard thing to do because people forget to think about if the person whose name is on the door. That's right. Do patients go with them? Is there a non-solicitation clause in the contract? You got to build all that in. Are yeah. we losing all our memberships? You know, when people are going to leave and go somewhere else, you think you're buying this book of business, but what's going to happen when the doors, you know, the name on the door changes? Are they going to stay here or not stay here? Do you change the name of the practice or not? Well, and that's why most people will keep around that seller. Like, if you can't just leave. You're staying here with me for a bit. Transition these patients. Train me in your ways. Let me, you know, let everybody know that this is going to be the same product that they're used to, the same service that they're used to. And then maybe after a year or so, you can go. That That really helps. Yeah, I feel like that's um, right now everyone's wanting to buy and sell in this industry. It's flooded with money. PE money is everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, if you're thinking about buying a practice, get an expert. Like mm-hmm. have somebody definitely come in and tell you if this is a good business. Run the numbers for you. Because mm-hmm. if it's not, it's a long term marriage that you want to get out of. Absolutely. That's the thing with this business, right? Especially partnerships, having a partner, having a business in general. You, you can't say tomorrow, you know, I'm good. Changed my mind. I went out. No, you're in it. You are in it. Especially if you have employees, because you got to pay payroll. Yes. Well, do you like? And I think during during Corona, we figured that part out that um, payroll has to get paid regardless. And so, if you're the business owner, you're going to make no money, and you're going to be paying into payroll because nothing's coming in the front door. There is no revenue. We all started getting really good at skincare during COVID. Really good at skincare. It was great for that business model. Uh, but yeah, I think that there's just so much to learn and do in this business to be good at it. And if you're at home thinking about this and struggling with it, call, you know, call Maven, call Jessica, get, get this at least a free consultation, right? Just yeah. like you ask your patients to do and figure out what's, what is that treatment plan financially, right? For the whole year to, to get your books yeah, back. Yeah, financial order. treatment plan. I like that. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. Put financial treatment plan. We'll put it on the website. It's a new, a when new you see it, we'll put a C Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to TM that. She owes me money. <laughs> That's right. A dollar per click on that one. No, I'm just kidding. But how do we find you? What's the best way to get hold yeah, of you? Yeah. So from? our website, mavenfpfinancialpartners.com. Um, it's a good place. We have a, an email address in there that'll go right to all of us to check out and we'll give you a call. And your Instagram handle. Yeah. Tell us that. At Maven Financial Partners. So okay. and LinkedIn too. Maven Financial. I think we're Maven Financial. Yep. So check us out there. It's all on our website too. Send us an email info at mavenfp.com as well. Um, but yeah, we really, we're really trying to put out good content. That's one of the things we're, we're working on right now is trying to get engagement content and you know, again, I already said that the marketing is not my thing, but I like teaching and I like telling people, listen, let me give you a little a little tidbit of advice of what we're learning right now. So that's that's what we want to do. Education is the best SEO you'll ever have. Like I well, just, good, because I like it. Without a doubt. Video, content, all the things. Because people who enjoy reading your things or enjoy listening to you will come to you for information. It's not like, you know, all the bad blogs I read. I'm like, oh, gosh, that's just a bunch of keywords stuffed in a blog to get Google to like it. It's just terrible. But thank you for being on good content. We appreciate that. Yes. That's, that's good, yes, good for yes. everyone. And I think the Maven Minute's a great idea. Guys, go go check that out. Good tips and tricks there. But we send you guys customers all the time, or our customers, because you make sense of our chaos, of our data and our spreadsheets. So we're going to keep sending our folks over to you. But guys, if you're, well, thanks, you know, if well. you need any help with this, you guys know how to find me. But certainly call Jessica, call the firm. A female-owned business, my favorite. Yes, so go diversity in the business owner world. 
But yeah, we will see you at AMSPA next week. And give us any final words or thoughts before we sign off today. Well, you guys, I think, you know, the fact that if, you, if you've held on this long through this session, then I would say that congratulations that you're working on your business. You're learning about the business. You're trying to think of how you can improve your business from a financial perspective. And, you know, that's hard to do. And so keep doing that. Keep working on your business. Uh, you know, I've, obviously, I'm going to say understand your numbers because that's what I think you should do. But congrats for, you know, taking that effort and for uh, for listening to us. And, and learning how to make your business better. Well, you heard it here first, guys. And for the record, you've been a fantastic guest. Thanks for coming into our studio Thank today you. and being Thank live. Thank you. We will see all of you guys next week on Episode 4 of Season 2 of For the Record. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.